When Jesus died on the cross, something amazing was taking place in terms of our redemption. He was saving us. But he was more than just saving us. He was, he was saving us from our sins and from a life of decay and a life of complete chaos and death. He was saving us to himself and to his body and to his church. One of the amazing truths uh, that uh, took place at the resurrection was the fact that when Jesus raised from the dead, he now had liberty and life and power over death and he was going to impo- uh, um, imbue that to all of his disciples and he was going to give them the power to live that godly life. He was at that point of time birthing a kingdom of priests. The Levitical priesthood was one thing. It was just a twelfth of a tribe. But when it came to resurrection, everybody became a priest. Everybody became a minister of God's kingdom. And that was what we saw today. We saw people ministering to God through gifts. We saw people ministering through God through talents. We saw people lifting up their lives and saying, Lord, you called me, you've chosen me, what can I do for you? And they've reached out and and God says, I want to use you. So turn to the person beside you and say, you're a great looking priest or priestess. (laughs) He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. It says in Revelations 1.6, a kingdom of priests. Amen, and priestesses. Amen. That's the power of the resurrection. Liz is going to come and talk to us now about the things that she's learned. We've had this 40 days of prayer and fasting, and we've been focusing on, um, on, uh, focusing on God speaking to us through this time of prayer and fasting. So we want to talk about that now with you. So true fasting, what really is it? This 40 days leading up to Easter is called Lent. That's kind of the religious term. So the slide says, a Lenten Bible study of true fasting. And that's all it means. It's just this period of time where we have an opportunity to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. We want to hear from you, God. We want to get close to you, God. We want to engage our heart with yours if it's true fasting. So I want to talk a little bit about true fasting and fake fasting and what the difference is. And I've got five slides which summarizes exactly what God wants to say to us today. So true fasting, what is it all about? Well, first of all, we really do need to take this very important statement into account if we want to look at true fasting. You see, just because a Christian says it doesn't mean it's true. You see, if we really want to know the truth about true fasting, we've got to read our Bible. You see, there was a couple of groups of Christians who had lots and lots of ideas about fasting. The Pharisees had some interesting ideas about fasting, but they weren't true. The Israelites had some interesting ideas about fasting, and that wasn't true either. And they're both under the umbrella of Christians. So we've got to know what is true fasting and what's fake fasting. Because the Israelites and the Pharisees got caught up in a fake fasting which is just based on legalism. Is it legalism that motivates us or is it love that motivates us? So what does God say? You see, for God there's a big difference between being motivated by legalism or being motivated 
by love. So we have a really important question to ask ourselves today on Easter Sunday. What motivates our Christianity? Is it legalism or is it love? Maybe we don't know what legalism is. Maybe we don't know what love is. Maybe we've heard lots of ideas about love from other Christians. But we, do we actually know what God's word says to us about love? So to help us figure out the difference between true fasting and fake fasting, between legalism and love, we have a short quiz to undertake. Now this quiz isn't for anybody else to know, but for you to ask yourself, which way do I tend to lean? And even better, when we go through this quiz, ask God to help you answer these questions. This is only between you and him. No one else is going to know how you respond to this, just you and God. So before we do that, let's pray. Oh God, I ask, Lord, that for each person in this room that you would search us, oh God, Lord, search us and know our hearts. Lord, test us. Test us, O oh God, and know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in us, Lord. And lead us in the way that's everlasting. In the beautiful name of our resurrected Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So here's a quiz for you. Oops. Here's a quiz on the left-hand side, the way of liberty, the way of love. On the right-hand side, the way of legalism. Now, on my little screen, this is too little, so let me just grab my printout so I can read it. Whoa, that's all right. I'm going to read it for you. So the first question, gee, that's really hard to read. I'll read it for you. The first question, the way of liberty, the way of love. Ask yourself and ask, ask God to help you, to engage with you, to really seek this in front of him, with him. Do you find yourself hungering for God's word and listening with eagerness when you hear his word? Or perhaps do you find yourself hearing God's word in a sermon and finding yourself just focused on critiquing the sermon? Question two, do you live a life focused on and centered around God? Or perhaps it's more true for you that maybe your life is focused and centered around yourself. Question three, do you really feel you can agree that you fear God in a really healthy way? Or perhaps you get stuck in fearing people more than God. Do you find yourself getting angry at sin? Or perhaps you find yourself too often getting angry and bitter towards God or other people or even yourself. Do you find you attend church service as an overflow of your love for God and others? Or perhaps it feels like when you attend church and come to CDM that it's really out of tradition and this sense of duty, I've got to do it. Do you find you're serving God out of love and delight 
Or is it serving God out of a drivenness and duty? Is it receiving truth from God and and finding that that humbles you? Or do you find yourself trapped, accumulating head knowledge and information, becoming proud as a result? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Or do you feel stifled in really feeling like you can experience these emotions? Do you rest in being fully accepted by God? Or perhaps you feel this this drive that you have to perform in order to gain acceptance and approval. And finally, do you surrender control to Jesus? Or do you feel like you have to be in control? So they're really tough questions. They're not easy to answer. And if you're like me, I find myself being motivated by legalism. I don't think I'm alone. It's a horrible thing to admit to ourselves that legalism somehow wiggles its way in. But you know, legalism is one of the biggest threats to the church today. And it gets in by getting into our heart and we don't even know it's there. It's easy to see it in the Pharisees. It's easy to see it in the Israelites. Could we believe it's in the church today? Could we even admit perhaps that it gets into us today? So, you know, if we're sitting here looking at these questions and feeling a little uncomfortable, today is a great day to be at church because God says, I want to set your heart free from legalism today. You don't have to be bound up with legalism. You don't have to fall into the trap of legalism. There's a whole new free way. He was resurrected on this beautiful day so that you would be free from being trapped to a whole lot of stuff, including legalism. So if his still quiet voice in you was saying yes to the legalism side, today is a great day to be here. We're not here to condemn you. I'm here to ask God to free me again. You have an opportunity today too to be freed from legalism. And to say, God, engage with my heart. I want to be free too. But you really need to think carefully. Are you prepared to engage your heart today with his? You have an important decision to make very soon at the end of this sermon. I'm preparing you now because you have a real opportunity today to be free from legalism in your life. The psalmist of Psalm 119.11 said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, God is so pleased when we engage our hearts with his, when we come to his word and say, Lord, I want to put that in my heart and hold that in my heart and understand this, live it, breathe it, keep it in my heart. I don't just want to read your word and think it just sounds a bit odd or I don't really understand or it's boring or it's irrelevant. Lord, I want it to go in so deep that I'm living this from my heart. So today, let's look at his word. Let's see what it is to know the difference between true fasting and fake fasting. So to give you a kind of of, uh, an illustration to understand this, I want to talk a little about my own experience. Remember we put this up on the board, the 40 days of prayer and fasting, and we had this fantastic national day of prayer and fasting. 
And then we put these little tables up and we said, come on board, come and join as a group, as a fellowship. Let's engage with this. Let's do something. Let's engage in prayer and fasting for 40 days. It's across the nation. Let's join Christian brothers and sisters across Australia. Let's do this. Let's fast so we can seek God and get closer to him. So like many of you, I ticked a box too. But I wonder what I really meant when I ticked that box. I wonder what really motivated me to tick that box. And I wonder what continued to motivate me every day as I thought about my commitment, my word, for putting that tick on that page. So a couple of weeks ago, I found myself going to a soccer game, going to watch Claudia play soccer. So do I know a lot about soccer? No, I don't. So I'm sitting there really concentrating hard on this game. And then at halftime, what do you do at halftime? You have a snack, right? So I thought, what I'll do is I'll take along a little snack for me. And this is this fantastic little power mix of fruit and nut, and it's so good. And I'm thinking, yeah, it says it's guiltless on there or guilt-free snacking, fantastic. So I'm sitting there at halftime enjoying this fruit and nut. Oh, this is so good. And then I'm sort of noticing sweet taste in my mouth. I don't know what that was, but we're still here. This sweet taste in my mouth, and I'm thinking, what is that sweet taste? This is so good. So I'm about halfway through the packet by now. I wonder if it's when I walk there. I'll come back here. Okay. Oh, okay. I can walk where I want. So I'm halfway through this packet. I'm tasting this sweet, sweet taste in my mouth. I'm thinking that taste is familiar and I'm liking it, but I'm just trying to remember what that taste is. Can you see in very small writing it says dried fruit, nuts, seeds and milk chocolate. So you got it. I put a tick on that little list to say that I wasn't going to eat chocolate for 40 days. So in my family, this is a big deal. I'm telling you, this is a big, big deal, not having chocolate for 40 days. So I've caught myself out. I'm eating chocolate. I ticked the box that said, I'm not eating chocolate for 40 days. So what do I do? How do I figure out whether I've now become a fake faster or a true faster? How do I figure that out? You see, the Bible says to us that we do need to examine our hearts. We do need to judge ourselves, especially on communion day. It's a beautiful reminder to stop and look at our heart. What sort of state is our heart in? Is it connected to God or is it far from God? But really, every day is a good day for examining your heart. And it's not judging by appearances that God is interested in. God isn't interested in a legalistic judgment of my heart. He's interested in a loving judgment of my heart. He wants me to stop and lovingly look at what I'm doing, not legalistically look at what I'm doing. You see, it's really important that we understand the way of love, not the way of legalism. It creeps in as quick as that, as quick as at a soccer game. You see, Paul said so beautifully in Philippians, he said, my prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern or judge what is best. So it's a discernment, a judgment based on love, not legalism. So let's just say I decide that this is really important, that 
I judge myself, I examine myself because that's a good idea because God said it's a good idea. And I figure I might ask some other Christians how they might judge me to help me figure this out. But remember, just because a Christian says it doesn't mean it's true. So I need to be careful when I engage with other Christians to seek their opinion to make sure that their opinion is based on the word. Have they hidden God's word in their heart? Is that what they're basing their advice and wise counsel on? Or is it based on something else? I've got to read my Bible if I want to make a right judgment. So how about we consult a pharisaical Christian to see what he might say to me? Let's try and get an understanding of what a Pharisee might say. So quickly, I want to look at the story of the taxman and the Pharisee just to give you an idea of what he might say to me if I'm going to ask him to help me discern what is best in this situation. He told his next story. So this is Jesus. Jesus is telling stories. Jesus told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a taxman. The Pharisee posed and prays like this, Oh God, oh, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this taxman. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the taxman, slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. So, What would motivate a Pharisee to place a tick on here, do you think? Based on that story, I think the Pharisee would place a tick on here to say, I'm going to tick this to impress myself and I'm going to tick this to impress you. It's all about impressing me and impressing you. That's why I fast. That's because I can tell God that I fasted twice a week and I tithed all my income. It's all about impressing others. That's what the box that the Pharisee is ticking. So perhaps the Pharisee would say to me, Oh, Liz, you did so well. You did 39 out of 40 days. I know heaps of Christians. They didn't even tick the box. Yeah, you're doing really well. In fact, I am so impressed with what you did at 39 out of 40 days because I know how much chocolate you normally consume. So, man, I am so impressed with you. And actually, because I'm impressed with you, you should be impressed with you because I'm impressed with you and you're impressed with me and so we're all hunky-dory. And you know what's important? What's important is not what the Pharisee says to me. What's important is my response to that if I agree and say, oh, yeah, I did do pretty well, didn't I? 39 out of 40 days and uh, I can tell everyone about that. You know, I've just ticked the same box as Pharisee. What I've just done is I've just decided to place keeping my word way, way above keeping God's word. I haven't even consulted God's word about true fasting. I've consulted another Christian about true fasting and I've decided that kind of appeals to me, this idea. And all of a sudden, I've just taken a step down the path of legalism. It's that easy. You see, 
we don't have people walking around in robes calling themselves Pharisees anymore. It's not that obvious. But Facebook is obvious. Tick me if you like me. Instagram is kind of the new Pharisee avenue. Tick me if you like me. Are you impressed with me? There's so many ways that this just wheezes its way into our life. But we need to stop and say, Lord, I want to keep your word as my priority in my life. Even if I don't keep my word, I want to keep your word in my heart. I want it to really matter that I'm living your word in my life because I know I'm going to stuff up. And sometimes I keep my word and sometimes I don't. But Lord, I want to keep your word. I want your word to be the foremost thing in my mind to show in my life. I want people to say, wow, God's word. That's what God's word looks like in the flesh walking around. Not, wow, she keeps her word when she says something. Have we not got that upside down? Have we not just walked with the Pharisees arm in arm and said, yes, I'm ticking the box to be impressed by other people? We've got to be so careful not to get caught up in the legalism that takes us down into fake fasting. So perhaps I would go to another Christian. And the next Christian just might happen to be an Israelite Christian. And we know all about them because God asked Isaiah in Isaiah 58 to prophesy to them. Listen to what God asked him to say. Shout a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lies. Face my family Jacob with their sins. Whoa! God is saying, shout this. He's saying, wake them up. They're asleep. They don't even realize it. Shout this to them. Wake them up. Open their eyes. Open their ears. They're not getting it. They're asleep. They don't even know they're asleep. Shout it. So understand he's starting Isaiah 58 with shout at these guys. They don't even know they're wrapped up in fake fasting. They think they're in true fasting. So you've got to shout to get through. So remember, I've asked an Israelite Christian to help me make a judgment. So this is what God is saying to the Israelites about their fasting. So I want you to imagine what, my, what the response might be for an Israelite if they came to talk to me about whether or not I was a true faster or a fake faster. Let's go on. They're busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. So you can see something. God's saying here, they judge by appearances, these Israelites. They do all the right things on the outside. They look like pretty good Christians on the outside. But just because man might judge by appearances doesn't mean God's going to judge by appearances. God never judges by appearances. God is judging the heart. It's not on the outside he's interested in. He's interested in the little conversations he has with you on the inside. He sees through all of that. He sees through me ticking this. He's interested in my heart. But notice he's saying this to the Israelites. He goes on. This is what God is asking Isaiah to prophesy to the Israelites. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? You see, the Israelite is saying, look at 
me another day without any chocolate. Woohoo! I'm doing well. Tick for me. And don't even realize that it's not impressing God. They're coming to God saying, Aren't you impressed? I'm impressed with me. Others around me are impressed with me. Why aren't you impressed with me? I mean, seriously, we humble ourselves and you don't even notice God? Look at me. It's impressive. Why aren't you impressed? And they wonder why God is not answering them. Isaiah goes on. They ask the question, why don't you notice us? This is a really, really important lesson. If you ask God a question, he may actually answer you and you may not like the answer. Well, here's why, says God to the Israelites. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard, you fast but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. You see, they're so busy tapping themselves on the back and saying, yes, another day down, I did it. But they're not even thinking about the nasty words they're spitting out. They're not even thinking about the nasty actions. Oh, no, I've ticked it. I didn't eat chocolate today. Aren't you impressed with me, God? God's looking at something else. He's looking at this through the lenses of love. He's not looking through the lenses of legalism. God continues on answering their question. He says, the kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? God turns it around and says to them, you think this is impressing me? You see, God has a totally different idea of fasting than fasting based on legalism. He's not interested in fake fasting. He's not interested in judging by appearances. God has a totally different picture about fasting. And when you base fasting on love, it looks totally different to this. So what is true fasting? What is the fasting that God really desires in our life? What's the fasting that God wants? If we keep looking at Isaiah 58, we'll find out. So God is really keen to look at the heart of an individual and, and show us what's on the inside of the individual. Remember, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so God is looking intently at our heart to, 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 to see whether we are intent on keeping his word. He wants us to hide that truth in our heart so that God's word about fasting becomes our word about fasting. If you remember um, when it says in Isaiah 58, it says, No, this is the kind of fast that I want, he says, to become, uh, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You see, what he's saying is, I'm looking at the way you're treating other people. He says, I'm looking at your attitude towards injustice. I'm looking at your attitude towards those who are in poverty. I'm looking at your attitude to those who have nothing in their lives. I'm looking to your attitude with regard to your own family. I'm looking at you to see, this is the kind of fast that I want, the way 
way you stop doing the things that you want to do and you start living for others. That's the sort of fast that I'm interested in. And you remember a priest, because we're a kingdom of priests, a priest is the one who is meant to have an interaction between those which are in the world and God. He is the intermediate between God and man. Now, we are all got one priest who stands between us and God, and that priest is King Priest Jesus, isn't it? He is the one that is our intermediary. So who are we priests to? If we're a kingdom of priests, who do we, who do we minister to? Well, we minister to people who don't know God. We minister to those who don't know God. And so we are standing between God and the one who is unsaved, who doesn't know Jesus yet. We stand there and we start to shine the light of Jesus. We start to shine the love of Jesus to those who are out there. You know, um, the, the thing that um, amazes me is that if you're a priest, you're meant to spend some time with God. If you're a priest, you're meant to know God pretty well. I mean, you, you can go to the throne of God and you can talk to God and uh, in some sense God respects you and loves you because you're the go-between and then you go to the man who's on the street and you, you take the blessing of God to the man who's on the street and you're able to communicate what God is to the uh, man on the street. That's the idea. The priest is the go-between between God and man. So proximity is the thing that communicates our priestliness. Priests in proximity mirror God to people. Remember we talked about the mirror neurons and how we're wired to mirror something, we're wired to reflect something in our lives? That's our breakdown. It's like a child mimics their parents and learns to do things and learns to act in certain ways because they, um, they just mimic. And we mimic other people. We, we sit there, we feel them. That's why movies work. We look at movies and we feel what's going on, the emotions in the movie, and we feel it and we, get, we know it's not real, but we get caught into it. And that's just part of what it's all about because we're mirroring those things. Well, the question is really then, if you're a priest, have you got spent enough time with God to mirror God? Because that's what it is. It's just mirroring God to those out in the world. It's taking God in your whole life and shining Jesus to those who, are, who don't know him. That's what it's about. That's what a priest is. He's just taking out and he's just shining Jesus to those in the world. I like in Psalm 139, when we looked at Psalm 139 um, a few weeks ago, remember uh, the psalmist was saying how wonderfully and how marvelously he was made. Remember, he says, where can I go from your presence in the beginning of the Psalm 139? And he, he says, if I go to the extents of the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths of hell, you are there. Everywhere I go, no matter where I am, you are there in front of me, you're behind me. I, I can't get away from you, God. You're everywhere, everywhere, and you know exactly what's in me. You know exactly what's in my mouth. You know everything about me. And, and the psalmist was just saying, this is just amazing. He's getting close to understanding what God is all about. And then he goes and he closes his eyes and he thinks about the time when he was conceived and he was in his mother's womb. And he then has this wonderful revelation about even as he's being formed in his mother's womb, God is there weaving him together in his mother's womb. And his, every part of his life, every day that he is going to live, he knows that God knows it even before there's one of them. Everything is laid out before him. And he just sits after soaking in the presence of God. He sits there and then in verse 19, you can see the mirroring begin to take place. He begins to mirror God's attitude. You say, how can I do true fasting? Sit with Jesus sometime. Don't sit with the Pharisee. Don't sit with the Israelite. 
Sit with Jesus. Sit with God. And he will mirror out of you. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse 19. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Well, what's that? Here's this attitude towards hatred towards that which is wicked. You know, the, the hands that hit, the evil that, of injustice. I, I, I listened to a, a, a news article of a man in the States, in Alabama, who was, Alabama who, was, who was released yesterday from prison. He was on death row, and he'd been on death row for 30 years. He was accused of killing and shooting two men. Except he wasn't even there. He was at work. His boss said he was at work. And the work that men that he was with said he was at work. But that didn't matter to the law people. They decided they were going to pin him for it. And for 30 years he was on death row and they were going to kill him. And yet yesterday he was released. He was 58, my age. Went to jail when he was 29. He was released yesterday, 58. He's a Christian. He was praising God as they came out, his family gathered around, and they said, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. They've been praying for 30 years for justice to be done. They're in touch with the heart of God to break the chains of injustice. And he says, I have prayed for 30 years for the victims, families who have been done a great injustice because the man who has done this has not been brought to justice. And so he's in touch with God's heart. He's in touch with God's heart, just like the psalmist spends time with God. The psalmist spends time thinking about God, and then he says, Lord, you would slay or destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. These blasphemers around me, the enemies who misuse you. He didn't want to have anything to do with wickedness. This is purity that's surging through his life, you know. He says, um, search me. He says, Yes, I hate them with a total hatred. I mean, what's the last time you really hated sin? I mean, if we could learn to hate sin, well, we would be fine. The trouble is we love sin. The Bible says don't love the world or the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If you love these things, the love of the Father is not in you. See, the question about is where is your love or where is your hatred? You don't get that from legally putting a list down and say we should, ought, must hate these things and tick the box when you hate them right. You hate them because you learn to love that which is righteous. It's like when you love that which is righteous and you love God, hatred for sin just becomes automatic because it's mirrored in your life. It's mirrored. It just comes out. It just flows out of you. The psalmist has finished the passage of Scripture there, and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, when we look at Isaiah 61, we see Jesus coming. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. We have this idea then that the priests that God selects have to have that sense of connection with God's Spirit. And when they have that connection with God's Spirit, there's that sense of God's presence inside of them, so motivating them, so moving them, that there is nothing in their lives that they won't do for Jesus. Everything just flows out of a heart of love for Jesus. Resurrection power gives us that. When we look at the resurrection today, we look at Jesus rising from the dead. He told his disciples to wait, that he was going to come back and he was going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. 
He was going to give them gifts to wait in Jerusalem until they received that power and they waited in Jerusalem. When they got that power, well, that was amazing. The church, 120 of them just stood up and that was the end of, that was the end of what you could say a whole era of being controlled by fear. This group of people stood up in the boldness of Jesus and because they had spent time with Jesus and because they lived with Jesus and because Jesus now dwelt within them, they lived their lives just echoing the presence of God everywhere they were. Everywhere they went, they shone Jesus. And they turned the whole world upside down. And, and the reason why we're here today is because the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. And just as it was upon them and it wasn't upon Jesus, it was upon Jesus, it now is upon us. You can look to the person beside you and say, the Spirit of the Lord is all over you. The Spirit of the Lord is all over you. The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of Jesus is in you. If you spend more time with Jesus and more time in the Spirit, then what will happen is that you will start to reflect the heart of God. And true fasting... True fasting is this, stopping the flesh and living in the Spirit. That's the true fast. Stopping the effort of trying to earn your way there and resting in the Sabbath rest of his presence and living in that presence with him every day. That's the true fast. The true fast is not what you do, it's what he is doing in you and shining through you. And it's your fasting Stopping you doing what you're doing and let him do what he wants to do through your life. Oh, I, I can't, can't watch the telly tonight. I'm going out street preaching. I mean, you do, you're doing something good. As soon as you do something good, you're stopping something bad. There's the true fast. The true fast is so connected with Jesus that his will becomes your will and everything else is fasted. It's just what God wants me to do. And when you're doing that, there is therefore now no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Amen? Let's bow our heads and ask Jesus to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, wanting so much to engage our hearts with yours. Lord Jesus, you said in your word, return to me, return to me with all your heart. Return to me because I am full of compassion. I'm full of grace. I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in love. Lord Jesus, we come to you now. We open our hearts to you because you are trustworthy, you are loving, you are abounding in love, you are compassionate, you are full of grace. Lord Jesus, we so want our lives to reflect you. We so want to keep your word in our heart. We so want to make it a priority to keep your word as being more important than keeping our own. Lord, we don't want any part of legalism. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you free us right now from every attack that would want to wrap us up in legalistic motives. Lord Jesus, right now, teach us to say no to ungodliness, no to go down down path, that path that the Israelites went down and you were so displeased with them.
that path that the, Paris, the Pharisees went down and you are so displeased with them. Lord, we're not going down that path because you have freed us from being caught in sin. Lord Jesus, we just want to hide your word in our hearts so we would not sin against you, Lord. We want to live true fasting in our life. We want to be real with you, Lord Jesus. We don't want to have a fake a fake focus, Lord Jesus. We, want to, we don't want to have a fake witness, Lord Jesus. You are too beautiful and too high and too holy, Lord Jesus, for us to do anything else but to want to obey you from our heart because we love you, not because we must or ought or should or out of a sense of duty, Lord, but because we just love you so much for loving us so much. We love you because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, on this Easter Sunday that you have overcome the grave. We don't have to be fearful. Lord Jesus, we thank you for every single priest that stood out here this morning and overcame fears to speak in front of this fellowship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that beautiful witness in their heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given each one of us a spirit of power to overcome the enemy. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person today, you stir them up, fill them again with your love to overcome the enemy. We pray in your beautiful and holy name, and everybody said, Amen.